The Christian Atheist is also available on YouTube, and you will find other great content, including the literature I frequently refer to, on our Simple Gifts podcast. If you find our content helpful, consider supporting us through PayPal at RomansChapter5 at Comcast.net. Welcome to the Christian Atheist, where faith and reason fuse in the Incarnation. Episode number 32, What is an Atheist? Part 5. Having proposed a dialectical definition for atheism last episode, we find that, like all Hegelian positions, it is just as much a definition of its opposite, theism. The dialectical order is the oft-repeated thesis, antithesis, synthesis. Hegel's philosophy is progressive in the metaphysical sense. Spirit, the immanent absolute, advances historically. The progress of the dialectic is in the Aufhebung, the canceling that preserves the two lower terms in a higher order reality or concept, what we call the synthesis. Theism is for us the thesis. Atheism, the anti-thesis. The explicit denial of the thesis. Each term inextricably tied to the other in the dance of opposition. It is important to note that Hegelian logic does not merely allow for contradiction, but as a logic of progression, of movement, development, and change, it conceives of contradiction as integral to the logic itself. Thus, the Aristotelian law of non-contradiction does not apply in Hegelian thought, Hegelian metaphysics. In dialectical logic, both theism and atheism are true, even if only in a limited sense. We must also deny the logical law of excluded middle in the disjunction from last time, that theism is necessarily either true or false. What results is precisely that continuum we postulated last time between the two terms, rather than a radical distinction between them. Truth is thus relativized, not binary. Thus, ultimately, as I hinted last time, I cannot fully accept this solution. Quoting myself, However beneficial we might find this definition, it is lacking something of vital importance. The absolute limits within which the atheist-theist continuum must be contained. In emphasizing the process of becoming, it lacks the necessary restraint of being, of truth. As I said in the very first episode of this series, I believe atheism, on the final analysis, to be the assertion the faith that God does not exist. However, consistent with this new definition, we add that this belief ideally carries with it a life lived consistently with that belief, an incarnation of that idea, that ideal. It is completely consistent with our definition, then, that no theist or atheist ever fully embodies or even completely understands all that their faith position entails. As ideals, they are infinitely complex, values to strive toward, 
but never in the realm of becoming, goals that are achieved. It is this ideal, this transcendent reality or value that is indicated, pointed to, by our concrete experience of the world of becoming. This real limit is what our definition lacks. Becoming must find its limits in being, and knowledge its limits in truth. Hegel's logic must be contained in, subject to, Aristotelian logic. One of the two terms must be true, not both, however mixed we may find them here on earth, here in this realm of becoming. I am not content, therefore, to think of atheism and theism as simple tendencies, but as tendentious, as leading us somewhere definite, towards the ideals of truth and being. And it is the explication of the somewhere, the ideal reality that the tendencies indicate, that I would like to undertake in this episode. We must note, first, that the foundational position, the thesis in dialectical terminology, is theism. Atheism, then, is the anti-thesis, the explicit denial of the thesis. It is derivative, not primary. Theism must be first asserted before it can be denied. As such, we must, and this is a requirement for any explicit denial, understand what the thesis is actually asserting in order to know what it is that the anti-thesis is denying. What does it mean to assert? To believe that God exists. We must keep in mind, again, that what we are trying to analyze is not a proposition, but a concrete tendency in the realm of becoming, in human experience, a unification of thought and action in human life. To seriously address this issue would require an effort far beyond our limited capacities here. But a rough schematization is vital to move forward at all. Let us start, then, with primitive humans, seeing the natural forces and representing them as agencies, gods, as causal forces. They are seeking to explain the seen by the unseen, the experienced by the unexperienced, the real by the ideal. This is an amazing leap. It represents the tendency to look beyond what is here, now, beyond the particular to the general, something nature does not do. It is predicated on temporal awareness of before and after causally linked. What is it about the human being that allows us to move from ontology, lived reality, to metaphysics, to explanation. Atheists love to play the game of the God of the Gaps, indicating that science has steadily removed almost every theistic explanation for natural phenomena, showing that we no longer have explanatory need for theism. In fact, the primary insight of man's primitive appeal to the divine was agency itself. 
not the particulars of the natural phenomena being explained. Agency appeals to what is beyond or behind the here-now, the present, in both senses of that term. The drive to discover agency is not dissipated by mechanical or naturalistic explanation, but intensified. To say that lightning is caused by forces in the atmosphere complexifies the agency. It does not dissipate it. And now we must seek the agency behind those forces. In that sense, science follows the primitive insight, peering ever deeper into the agency behind what appears, ultimately conceiving nature herself as agent, a direct equivalent to theistic reasoning. The ideal agency sought by scientists is the toe, a theory of everything, a self-contained, self-generating agency. Such a theory would have to be conceived of in two possible ways, either as directed from without by an external agency, this is Western theism, or by internal, imminent forces that together yield the systematic whole. The latter would seemingly be the position of the atheist. But a self-directing system of such complexity, uniting into a single comprehensible whole, and ends causa sui, invested with the amazing powers of creation and the creator, differs from a god how? It is in this sense that we can find the synthesis of dialectical logic uniting theism and atheism. For Hegel, it is the imminent process itself that is God, or spirit, the extension of agency throughout, rather than transcendent to, the universe. It is a form of pantheism, which is thus not atheist. If this is the position of the atheist, then the only accomplishment of atheism is semantic, denying only the personal to agency accepting creator and creation, but simply changing their case to lower. We must, however, expand upon what is being asserted in theism, as agency is a starting place, but only a part of what is at stake. What is meant by God? To aid us in our thinking, I propose a partial listing of what God means in the Judeo-Christian conception. One. God is being itself, the source and ground of what is, the ideal of being, the unmoved mover, creator and sustainer, the great I am, God as agency. Two, God is value itself, the highest order of goodness. As Plato makes clear in Republic, being and value are linked that which is most real is also most valuable. 3. God is truth. He is associated with, indeed, is incarnated as the Word of God, as powerful and truthful speech, communication. 4. God is love. 5. God is light that which reveals, warms, and causes growth and fertility. Plato's sun analogy. Six, 
God is judge, arbiter of justice, rewarder and punisher. He is that to which we owe an account of our life and actions, as our conscience demands. God calls man to act for good in the world. 7. God is the ideal itself, the perfection that motivates our highest achievements and aspirations. 8. God is that which stands beyond the natural, above the temporal. 9. God is order, structure, the eternal way, and not just the goal. 10. As supernatural, as outside limitation, God is neither seen nor experienced directly, but indirectly by those who inhabit the natural, limited realm. 11. God is rationality itself, consciousness itself. 12. In our experience of the limited, the spatial, and the temporal, God is the ideal absence of limitation, of eternity. As such, God is what we experience as the guarantor of the value of value, of the beauty of beauty, of the truth of truth, of the rationality, which is itself a reaching toward an ideal, of applied human thought. 13. God is the good father, the good shepherd, the provider and caretaker, the disciplinarian, the repairer of what is broken. My point in all of this is that human rational response to the world is bound up with all of the ideals that we think with, the conceptual categories that structure our lives and actions, that align and order our values and choices. What is it, then, that atheists seek to deny when denying theism? I ask this honestly, as I see very little in the list of attributes traditionally ascribed to God that atheists, in fact, deny as components of the real, as they live their lives. Atheists, like Sam Harris, are profoundly concerned to justify all of this, but without resort to superstition. Fair enough. But without God, it seems to me that atheism faces a problem analogous to the problem of evil for the Western theist, though more difficult to articulate. Let us call it the problem of value. How is it that utterly impersonal agency of unconscious processes gives rise to value? For value is the very substance of the human experience of existence. It is value that orders, that organizes, that, in a word, rationalizes being. We encounter value. We do not create it. External reality mirrors our internal rationality so closely that we marvel at the fit. Value is more real than any object surrounding us, for it is the very basis upon which an object is an object, a discrete thing differentiated from the chaos surrounding it. Why is there something, rather 
than nothing. Something, after all, is better than nothing. Something has value. It is good. What, though, makes it good? Do we have to accept that something is good? Can we not call something bad and nothing good? This is not as idle a question as may first appear, as we human beings can and do invert values, even if we can't create them. Earlier this year, as I was thinking about everything I've ever thought about, I concluded that Western theism stands or falls upon a very basic proposition, repeated multiple times in Genesis 1. And God saw that it was good, and culminating with verse 31, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Western theism begins by taking this claim on faith. We have reason to doubt it, don't we? Our suffering, the cruelties of nature and of man, plead a powerful case that being is bad, not good. As we saw in an earlier edition of the Christian Atheists, Lucretius' argument is indeed the strongest of all arguments for atheism. Nequaquam novis divinitis esse paratum naturum rerum, tanta stat predita culpa. Had God designed the world, it would not be a world so frail and faulty as we see. That there are two faiths laid out from the beginning of the creation narrative is no mistake. Two open paths down which we can choose to walk. There is logic here on both paths as we live out our axiomatic faith positions. We can live as if our world is good, trust God's judgment, and align ourselves with it, despite the powerful evidence to the contrary. Or we can deny it. If we deny it, we set ourselves as judge of existence. In a world of value, we cannot avoid having a highest value, a God, even if by the practical logic of our choice, that is us. It is in the story of Cain and Abel, Genesis 4, that we see the logical outplay of these ideally diverging paths. Jordan Peterson has apparently reached this same conclusion from his book, Beyond order. The insistence of God on the goodness of creation reflected the fact that truth, courage, and love were united in his creative action. Thus, there is an ethical claim deeply embedded in the Genesis account of creation. Everything that emerges from the realm of possibility in the act of creation is good. I do not believe there is a more daring argument in all of philosophy or in theology than this. To believe this, to act it out, is the fundamental act of faith. So much, then, for the ideal tendencies of the two positions. In actual practice, what is it that atheists 
in fact, deny when they are denying theism. We will hopefully end this series next time addressing this question. I am a Christian with the searching and skeptical mind of an atheist. I don't want to believe anything that isn't true. I know both sides of the looking glass and I know them with open eyes. I choose Christ's side. I invite you to join me from wherever you stand before the looking glass. That's this week's episode. Thanks for listening. And remember, you can have your religious cake and eat it too. You can have reason, respect for science, a 21st century worldview, and be a Christian.